mitzvah and uh, at 12 uh, and in Middle Eastern uh, cultures and particularly in that time at 12 a, a boy becomes a young man and he takes on his father's business and yes we know that he would be a carpenter we know that uh, like his legal earthly fa uh, father and guardian Joseph but of course he was taking on his heavenly father's business and so that statement is, is is just so pregnant with meaning. Our series for Christmas has been the surprise child and it's not as I've said that it was not foretold, the prophets foretold these things but to each of the participants that we've been looking at it has come somewhat as a surprise their part in uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus. Our surprise this morning, and I'll have to see how I go. Oh, oh okay. That put back. Which is that? I should have checked this before service. Down is forward. It's the opposite to what I expected. Okay. We've just got a new system on here, no longer pointing a thing, so... Uh, uh, it's, it's an improvement, but just need to get used to it. Our, our subject this morning is Mary's surprise. Matthew tells Joseph's story, and Luke tells Mary's story. The focus is on the response of Mary to the appearance of an angel. Now, he first appears, in Luke's account, he first appears to Zechariah, announcing the birth of Jesus, of John, Jesus' cousin, and then to Mary. Though their stories in Luke 1 are strikingly similar, Zachariah and Mary have two significant differences that Luke highlights to teach an amusingly, as John Piper says, an amusingly ironic and encouraging lesson about grace and faith. Here are the similarities. Both are visited by the angel Gabriel. Both are promised the miraculous birth of a son. Both are equally unfit to have a child. Zachariah's wife is barren and Mary is a virgin. Both respond with equal perplexity asking, how? But there the difference comes. One indication that Luke intentionally compares Zachariah and Mary is that he has bothered to list these parallels. He didn't have to mention them. Matthew didn't in his gospel, but Luke does. And by drawing them out, he prepares us to see Zachariah and Mary's substantial contrast. Zachariah is a married priest, a righteous man, troubled by his wife's lack of having a child. Mary is a young and obscure single woman, betrothed but not yet married. Zachariah's question was born of doubt, asking for a sign to prove it, and so he got a sign, a sign of rebuke, yet God used it 
his silence, to dramatize the coming of John. When Zacharias uh, trusted and obeyed, his voice came back, and when he said he shall be called John, as, the, as, as Gabriel had instructed. Now that brings us to Mary. While the Roman Catholic Church has venerated and even worshipped Mary, many times as Protestants, Mary has been understated. And yet Luke points her to us as an example of believing faith. Sorry, I forgot to do the reading. That's where I'm at. Okay, so we'll introduce you to the reading. And I'll come back to the headings. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favoured one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, or Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth months. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's surprise. We forget that she was most likely just a teenager. She could have been as young as 12 or 13. She might have been as old as 18 to 19, but most scholars suggest 15 to 16 was most likely. Mary. And we read now uh, in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel's announcement takes place six months after Elizabeth conceived 
conceived John the Baptist. Mary lived in a town in the village of Nazareth in the hilly southwest area, southwest of the Sea of Galilee, 75 miles, 70 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It was a tough town known for its corruption and low morals. And here is a young teenage girl. She's a virgin. It describes her state both before conception and during pregnancy. As Matthew tells us in Matthew 1, 24 and 25, and Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. As John MacArthur notes, the importance of virgin birth cannot be overstated. A right view of the incarnation hinges on the truth that Jesus was virgin born. Both Luke and Matthew expressly state that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was conceived. She's betrothed, and we looked at it last time, but for those that weren't here, it's a, it's a legally binding engagement, breakable only by divorce. It involves a mutual promise or contract for a future marriage. Not quite like we understand the modern concept of engagement. And according to Jewish custom, a contract was negotiated by a friend or agent representing the bridegroom and by the parents representing the bride. It was confirmed by oaths and was accompanied by presents to the bride and often to the bride's parents. One commentary says this, betrothal was celebrated by a feast. In some instances, it was customary for the bridegroom to place a ring on the bride's finger as a token of love and fidelity. In Hebrew custom, betrothal was part of the marriage process. A change of intention by one of the partners after he or she was betrothed was a serious matter, subject in some instances to a fine. The actual marriage took place only when the bridegroom took the bride to his home and the marriage was consummated in the sexual union. What do we know about Mary from Luke's Gospel? Well, here's a, a list. First, her father's name was Eli. Second, she had a sister named Salome. Third, she had a relatively, and we're not, a relative, is not specified, but named Elizabeth. Fourth, she is young. Fifth, she is poor. Sixth, she is a devout believer in God, despite the, the reputation of Nazareth. Then you remember that when... Uh, um, when Andrew bought, uh, bought um, and I've forgotten the disciple, I had it there and didn't write it down. But uh, he says, what good can come out of Nazareth? You know, <laughs> you know, it's such a, such a place. But here is Mary, a, a devout young woman who lives in Nazareth. And there's another contrast here with Zacharias. He's in the hills near Jerusalem in temple service. Warren Wiersbe notes, the people in Judah disdained the Jews in Galilee and claimed they were not kosher because of their contact with the Gentiles there. They especially despised the people from Nazareth, but God in his grace chose a girl from Nazareth in Galilee to be the mother of the promised Messiah. Now note something here. 
whereas Zacharias was in the temple performing his priestly duty, where one might expect to have an encounter with a divine or angelic appearance. Then you think of Isaiah in the temple when he sees the glory of the Lord. But Mary was simply going about her daily routine at home. And the angel Gabriel comes. Don't know whether she was asleep or whether he appears as she's doing her tasks. But Gabriel has three things to say to Mary if you look at the past, the verse. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favoured one, the Lord is with you. Firstly, she is highly favoured. Second, that the Lord is with her. Third, that she is blessed. All this was certainly true of Mary, who has, has a unique privilege among any person to ever live. Can you imagine? Zacharias was stunned and afraid when Gabriel appeared at the right hand of the altar. But if you were going to have a divine or an, an, an angelic encounter, surely the Holy of Holies was the place to expect it. But here she is, just going about her daily, daily things. And when Gabriel appeared to Mary, he called her favoured one. The Greek word translated as highly favoured is karito'o, and it means highly blessed or much graced. Because she would be a special recipient of God's grace. It's literally full of grace, a term used of all believers in Ephesians 1.6, where it's translated bestowed. This portrays uh, Mary as a recipient, not a dispenser of divine grace. We read Ephesians 1.6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. She's had this grace poured out upon her. Mary, like all other mortals, was a blessed recipient of God's grace, not a bestower of it. She had a special role, just as John the Baptist had a special call, but she was simply a highly favoured one. Later on in the chapter, as we come to the Magnificat, it becomes obvious that she had a heart for God and insight into the Word. When Elizabeth greets her in Luke 1.42, she says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. As J. Bernard McGee says, there is a tendency among Protestants to play down the role of Mary. That this verse tells us that she was highly favoured. In the same breath, he says, however, let me say that she was blessed among women, not above women. She is not lifted above women, she lifted up womanhood. This is the role she played. It's so easy to say that a woman brought sin into the world, but remember it was a woman and not a man who brought the Saviour into the world. Another thing that we observe about Mary, not only was she a teenager, but she was a thinker. Luke's portrayal of Mary is interesting. In Luke 2.19 it says, But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them, in her heart. She's an active participant, observing and treasuring everything that happens to her as a result of this call from God. There is a sense of wonder about Mary as she watches God's plan unfold. 
Many things she did not know ahead of time, and she marvels as they are played out before her, trusting God. And so we find her here perplexed and pondering. Verse 29 says she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The word pondering here is, or perplexed here is, dear Terrasso. She's thrown into confusion. It's the comparable idea is to be troubled, to to be agitated greatly, to trouble greatly. She's heard what the angel said, but what does it mean? Mary was troubled at the sayings of the angel. As David Guzik notes, the fact that Mary is troubled at his saying shows her humility. Mary was surprised to hear such extravagant words used of her. Truly godly people don't go around thinking about how godly they are. Warren Risby says Mary's response reveals her humility and honesty before God. She certainly never expected to see an angel and receive special favours from heaven. There was nothing unique about her that such things should happen. If she had been different from other Jewish girls, as some theologians claim she was, then she might have said, well, it's about time. I've been expecting you. No, all of this was a surprise to her. When you consider Gabriel's greeting, you can understand why Mary was perplexed and somewhat afraid. You can imagine the overwhelming nature of what's going on in her mind. A young, devout teenager who loves God is preparing for marriage, and all of a sudden she's thrown a curved ball, (laughs) a decidedly curved ball that was not in her thinking or plan at all. But she's assured. Gabriel counters with these words. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Do not be afraid, Mary. Literally, don't be apprehensive, afraid or frightened. Gabriel went on to explain that the Messiah himself was to be born to her. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua, or Jehoshua, which is shortened to Yeshua. Uh, It's a surprise to many Jews today that the Jesus we celebrate is actually Jewish Yeshua. Uh, They kind of think of him as Gentile or Catholic or something else. But the name means Jehovah is salvation. And she's told he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Listen to those five statements. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be given the throne of his father David. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. 
He fulfills the promises made to David of an unending rule. In other words, this child that you're going to have is the the Messiah. And they were longing to know when the Messiah would come, as many still today are. There's something else I want to notice about uh, Mary, is that she is teachable. Remember, both Zacharias and Mary responded with equal perplexity. How? And she says, how can this be, in verse 34? How can this be, since I am a virgin? Now, Zacharias was rebuked, but Mary isn't. Why? Well, Mary did not ask for a sign, so this remark does not reflect unbelief. This was a legitimate question given Mary's present marital status. She's simply asking, how can this take place? Innocently, without doubting, but rather a humble submission to the will of God. And we ought to take note of that in James 1, verses 5 to 8, it says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Zacharias' question betrayed unbelief when Zacharias questions Gabriel about the possibility of conceiving. And by the way, he he knew the story of Abraham and Sarah. He should have known that it wasn't impossible for God. But sometimes we're overwhelmed and cannot uh, easily come to faith uh, in the particular circumstances. When Zechariah questions Gabriel about the possibility of conceiving, the angel makes it clear that he is silenced because he did not believe. In Luke 1.20 we read, And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Mary asks, how can this be? And Gabriel explains it to her. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. These words express the completely miraculous nature of Mary's conception. It was accomplished by God alone in a unique and never-to-be-repeated way. And then she gets this news in verse 36. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Like Zechariah, Mary was given a sign. Elizabeth is going to have a child. The angel says to Mary to encourage her that her impossible pregnancy really can come true. Be encouraged, Mary. And he says in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is too hard for God. Like, uh, Think about it for a minute. It's not just Christmas time. We celebrate not just one 
miracle baby, but two. One earlier than the other, not quite at Christmas time. But God delivers this, and of course we follow John the Baptist and see that he goes to prepare the way of Jesus. That he's the last of the Old Testament prophets proclaiming the good news was about to come, and then Jesus comes saying what it was. God keeps his promises regardless of how difficult the circumstance may seem. Gabriel's statement about God should be our statement of faith. Nothing is impossible with God. The ultimate power, proof of the power of God is that the infinite creator took upon himself finiteness as a creature. Vernon McGee says there's nothing impossible with God when he is determined to do it. But he will not necessarily do the impossible we ask of him. Many people use this verse as a cliche to cover up the fact that they want their own selfish desires fulfilled. Nothing is impossible when his will is in it, when his purpose is in it. And we need to take hold of that. And so we, in verse 38, we see Mary trusting. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave servant of the Lord. May, and she says, May it be so. A young woman not yet hardened and as sceptical as Zacharias has become. May it be so. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave or servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. This response suggests humility before the Lord and a readiness for faithful and obedient service, which should, be, should characterize every believer. She accepts her role without question and thus is a model of faith even though she doesn't fully understand everything. You see, you don't have to have all the answers. When God, when God gets you to step out in a direction, you simply need to trust that he will work out those questions. Remember, we asked those questions when we sensed we were being called to Bible college and we sat down with Dr. Napier and, and said, well, but how does this work out? We wanted to know ahead. We had to step out and trust that he would work those things out and, and he would direct our paths as to where he wanted us to serve. You see, that is... Uh, this is a model of faith, even though she doesn't fully understand everything. That is faith, not having all the answers, but trusting that God does and then marveling as he works out his plan through the days of your life while yet trusting him. It's an example of true discipleship in submission to God's word and promise. Mary surrendered, she submitted and the story ends with this simple postscript. Gabriel departs. And the angel departed from her. As suddenly as he appeared, he departed. Mission accomplished. Imagine Mary's heart and mind at this moment, racing at ten to the dozen. A million other questions. How will she explain this to Joseph? Her parents. What about neighbours? When is this going to happen? How? Why me? What do we learn from this that we can take with us? It's this. God, God doesn't bless people according to their age, gender, 
or station in life. He blesses them according to his own good purposes. Grace is free and God has chosen to pour it out abundantly across the spectrum of humanity. Faith is the right and pleasing response to God's promises. And as with grace, it isn't reserved for the spiritually elite. Young women can and often do surpass old men in trusting God. We read, shared, we've shared this verse throughout this series. As many as received him, that's what faith does. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's the outpouring of his grace. Do you believe? Are you prepared to trust him? In Acts 4.12 we read, and the verse says it wrong here. I noticed that this morning. I hadn't finished changing the slide. It's Acts 4.12, not John 1.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Adrian has, in the laying out of the service this morning, beautifully tied together both Easter and Christmas. The fact that the birth was so that he might become, and we're going to look at that tomorrow as we look at the shepherd's surprise. There's some beautiful imagery going on in the fact that Jesus appears, the angel appears first to the shepherds to tell them about the birth, and we'll get into that tomorrow. May you know the grace of God bestowed upon you this Christmas and respond with just such a thoughtful yet uncomplicated face that is pleasing to God. You see, that's the whole point of this story. It's not just a story, it's history. Mary exhibits for us a thoughtful yet uncomplicated face that is pleasing to God. What about you? As we consider the events of the incarnation, the events of Jesus coming the events of the glory of God coming down to earth and shining in the fullness of its radiance.